Or can it? Uh, up, yes, please, because I can't. Oh, that's a little high. That's too high. I'm sorry. Perfect. All right. Whew. I, I'm a mess up here right now. Whoa. Gonna talk about marriage. <laughs> my, marriage part two. I'm gonna take my shoes off. I hope you guys don't mind, but I'm doing it because I gotta be, I gotta be in them all day. And uh, yeah, I'm not gonna make it if I start off now. So, so last week we talked about marriage. And uh, see, if you missed it, you're gonna wanna go back and watch it um, on YouTube um, because it was very important what we discussed. We talked about what men need and what women need. We talked um, about needs, not wants. Very important. And uh, then we also um, talked about the one thing that um, there's four parts, which we'll talk about today, but we only discussed one of the laws of marriage that God put in place for successful marriages. Um, if you want extra information or you want to read a book, you want to fine-tune your marriage, or maybe you're having marriage issues, or maybe you're going to get married or be married one day, a really good book is by Jimmy Evans, and is where I take some of my information from. A very good book on marriage. I highly recommend it. So if you are looking for something, Jimmy Evans, okay? Um, but first of all, before we begin the laws of marriage, I want to discuss this. Marriage was never meant to be between just two people. <laughs> I thought I'd pause and make you question it for, wait a sec. I think it's time, honey, we leave the church. <laughs> No, I'm not talking about have extra wives or anything like that. Um, I'm talking about it was meant to be between you and your spouse and God in the middle. God always in the middle. God was the author. He was the creator of relationships and the creator of marriage. So it only makes sense that you would want him to be a part of it. Am I right? Not only do you want him to be a part of your relationship, but here he has the inside scoop on your spouse. Because he knows your spouse's heart better than your spouse knows his heart, better than you know your spouse's heart. God knows your spouse's heart. So you can go to God and be like, help. How do I deal with this? What do I do? This is another great reason why you want God to be a part of your marriage. Your pursuit of God will directly affect your marriage because God was the original creator of it. How, how you are pursuing God on a daily basis will affect your marriage relationship. It'll affect all your relationships, actually, where your relationship is with God. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. We read this two Sundays ago. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So God is it, right? You, you should love the Lord your God. And when you are loving the Lord your God, when you're following after him, when you're in relationship with him, the most important thing, your number one priority, when you're in relationship with God, he's filling you with everything that you need. 
You're realizing how loved you are. You're finding out what your identity, what your purpose is. You're finding out all of these things and then while that's happening, you're loving yourself. And then you're able to love your neighbor you're able to love your spouse, you're able to love your friends properly because first, it was God first, right? No, nobody's at, yes, right. <laughs> you can never get your identity, your purpose, or acceptance from anyone else but God, right? So you can't look to your spouse for your identity. They can't give it to you. And you will be disappointed. Here's another thing. Your own joy is your responsibility. That's not on anyone else. So if you're looking to your spouse for joy, you aren't gonna get it. And you're gonna be disappointed and problems are gonna come from that because you're looking to them, they're not a source of joy. That's on you. And where do you get your joy from? God. So seek him. First, joy comes from him. It's, it's, not, it's not on your spouse. That's not their responsibility. Then also marriage is a sacrificial relationship. If you got into marriage for what you can get, you are going to be disappointed. It's sacrificial. The real mark of love is what you give. That's the real mark of love, what you give. So in other words, God loved the world so much that he gave. So love, God loves and then he gives. So I love my spouse, so then I give. The mark of love is giving, is what you give. It's sacrificial. So you don't go into the marriage relationship like, he's going to pay all my debts. He's, he's gonna make me happy. He's gonna do all the things that I want, all the things that I like. He's not, she's not. But I'm going into it with the thought in mind of what can I give to this? What can I give to him? Because it's sacrificial. Marriage is covenant. Covenant means a permanent, sacrificial relationship. Meaning, I'm all in. It's a permanent, sacrificial, I'm sacrificing something, so I'm all in. I'm standing at the altar, I'm gonna give everything to this. I'm all in, I'm not holding anything back. And so single people, that's why it's really important that you understand when you're getting in, what you're getting into when you get into marriage. That if this is somebody that I'm going all in, that it's, the, that it's the right one that I'm giving myself to. See, in the culture today, in, in the world today, and again, I'm not, I'm not, for anybody who's been divorced, I'm not bringing any condemnation to you because I know that it happens, but in the culture today. Marriage, I mean, is like, it's not a big deal. It's like, it's marriage, if it doesn't work, get a divorce. You, you see it in the movies. Shaylee and Katie were telling me about a show that they're watching. Like, they don't get to see the person, and then they just marry them. 
or Love at First Sight is another show on TV where the two other groups of people matchmake these people and they meet them on their wedding day. Where's the sanctity of marriage? Are we holding it with the, with the reality of this is marriage? That I'm going all in for something. I'm about to sacrifice my life for somebody. That if I'm going to go all in, I need to understand that, that, that marriage is something that's beautiful, but it's important. Sacrifice means it's the act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. So when you're getting married, you're saying, I'm giving up things that I think are important, maybe even myself, and I'm, and I'm looking to you as being something of more importance. I'm sacrificing for you. When you sacrifice, you serve one another. To sacrifice in serving means that you serve your spouse in spite of what you need, what you want, or what you even understand. It means that you serve your spouse with a joyful attitude. And your priorities should be Jesus, your spouse, your family, your church, your ministry, your work. Your spouse should not be a burden or a distraction to you, nor should they be made to feel like it. Oh, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me this morning. <laughs> your spouse shouldn't, your spouse, you shouldn't make your spouse feel as though they're a burden to you. Your spouse isn't coming between you and God. Come on. Or, your spouse is something that's God-given. And so when you make them feel like that, you are communicating feelings of rejection to them, of unimportance, of low value, of no priority. And you, do, you, you communicate those things by eye-rolling, I, um, the tone of your voice, your body language, maybe just not doing it at all, not serving them, you're communicating feelings of rejection to them. Not cool, right? I'm sure we've all done it. I've done it. My eyes, sometimes they have a mind of their own. <laughs> My face does too. <laughs> Can't help it. Yes, I can. Over-spiritualizing, that's another way that you communicate those kinds of things to your spouse. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says, this is the kind of life you've been invited to. The kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. You see that? Christ, Christ sacrificed Christ suffered and he says, and he did it so that you would know it could be done. That you can serve, it can be done. That you can sacrifice things, it can be done. And you also know how to do it. Step by step, follow Christ. It's what Christ does. And 
Another thing is no scorekeeping. Scorekeeping is not servanthood. Well, I did this, so you should do that. That's not a servant. That's not what servants do. If Jesus kept score with us, oh boy, that's right. Oh boy. Remember, Ephesians 5 says, marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery, meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. Marriage is supposed to be an example of what Christ and his church look like. And the last one is, and we talked about this last week, protect the priority of your marriage. That's serving. That is serving your spouse by protecting the priority of your marriage. That, that I, will, I will make sure to spend time with you. I will make sure to, to make sure when you're talking that I'm listening to what you have to say. Okay, so now we'll go into the laws of marriage. And go to Genesis 2. And we read this last week. Verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So remember, this was the first thing that God ever spoke about marriage in the Bible. And he was, it, it was instituted to be for marriage, not just for Adam and Eve, because we know this because Adam and Eve had no parents, and he's saying, you gotta leave your parents, right? So this was laws that God instituted for marriage. The first one that we talked about last week was pursuit. Not pursuit, excuse me, priority. Now, now you know what's next, pursue. <laughs> so we're gonna go into the verse, and, a, and the man shall cleave unto his wife. He shall cleave unto his wife. That word cleave means to pursue with all of your energy. So a man shall pursue with all of his energy his wife. This is a law for marriage, not just for dating. Pursue. And a lot of times what happens is, guys, girls, we, we're on our best behavior before we get married, right? We're doing all the things like, all the guys are watching all the girly movies. The guys are quiet, yeah. All the girly movies, loving them, right? And then you get married and you find out he doesn't want to watch those ever. I'm not talking about Jared. Yes, I am. <laughs> and if he does agree to watch them, he's going to either fall asleep <laughs> or play on his phone. He, you know, but you do all those things or... If you're that girl, you're, you know, oh, you're like, I love golfing. I love it. <laughs> Fishing, hunting, yeah, I'm sporty. <laughs> and then they marry you. No, you're not. Right? But you're, you want to, you're trying to, what, nail that person in? What's the, I can try to think, no, nail, that's not the right word. It's, uh, <laughs> Seal the deal. Seal the deal. I guess we could go with that. Seal the deal. You're, you're trying to, you know. Ah, oh, it's not the word I'm looking for, but it doesn't matter. 
You're trying to seal the deal with that person and get them married and then you can let down your guard. But God says, no, don't let down your guard. Pursue them all the time. Keep dating them. Keep doing what they enjoy. Spend time with them. Don't just drop it. You should be going after them all the time. I have a quote I'm going to read right now. You fall in love because you were pursuing and working at the relationship. That's how you fell in love. But you fall out of love because you took each other for granted. I got her. I already got her. I already got them, it's fine. Don't take each other for granted, pursue. So man shall leave his wife, or shall cleave to his, shall leave his wife, oy. Shall cleave to his wife, he should pursue. Pursue, keep pursuing. The next one is partnership. Verse 24 says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is about sharing. Marriage is about being equal. You are equals. First Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, with great gentleness and tact, and with intelligent regard for the marriage relationship, as with someone physically weaker, we already talked about this last week, since she is a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir in the grace of life so your prayers will not be hindered you better treat them as equal or your prayers will be hindered uh, the living bible says um, remember that you and your wife are partners your partners so you are not dominant over one another men you are not dominant over your wife women do it too. Dominance is not good in a relationship. You are equals. Dominance means disproportionate control of a relationship. So in other words, if the marriage was a company, you would own equal shares. So you're equals. You own equal shares, you have equal say. If the company had a dominant partner, one partner would own more shares than the other. And that's not to be marriage. It's not the way God created it. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, be subject to your own husbands as service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. So we're talking about dominance. And then we have this verse that says, wait, but the husband is head over the wife and she's to be subject to her husband. Would that make him dominant? No, no, not at all. Christ is the head of the church. Now remember, follow me, okay? 
Marriage is to be an example, a reflection of Jesus and his church. Jesus being the head of the church. Jesus is not dominant. I have never been woken up at four in the morning, dragged out of bed, gunned to my head, and forced to pray. Jesus has never forced me to pray. Jesus has never forced me to go to church. Jesus has never forced me to love him. He's not dominant. He leads. but he doesn't dominate. How does Jesus lead? Through sacrifice, through servanthood, through laying his life down. What did he say? As the savior of the, of the church, of the body. That's who Jesus is. He's the savior. So that means that he's out in the front taking the hits Men, how do you lead? How are you the head of your home? Through sacrifice, through servanthood, through leading your family, not dominating over them. And we have this misconception in the church that like, I'm the head, so I'm the boss. No, you're equals, you're leading, but you're not forcing anything. What it looks like to be the head of your family is responsibility. It's taking the responsibility. And men, let me say this, that's a massive responsibility. That's a big weight to carry. Good job. No, no, seriously, thank you. Thank you for carrying that. I sometimes think that you guys don't get the credit for the responsibility and the weight that's on your shoulders to carry your family. Much grace to you. Much grace. You guys deserve a lot of respect for that. But what we also have is a lot of men who want the responsibility or want the authority, but they don't want the responsibility. I want to be able to say whatever I want. I want to be able to have authority over my family and over my wife, but you don't want the responsibility. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So it's not dominance. It's not dominance. It means that you're carrying a responsibility for your home. If you have dominance in your home, either man or woman, because I've seen dominant women and they're not fun. <laughs> Those are scary, scary women. That's not cool either. If you have that in your home, it destroys intimacy and goodwill in a relationship. And everyone in your home will resent it. The other thing is important is that men, as men, you are initiators. You initiate things. You initiate romance. You initiate in your home. You, that's what you do. It's in you. It's a God-given gift. And women are responders. We respond 
to men that initiate. We talked about this last week about security. We want you to lead our home. We want you to lead because we find security in that. You initiate, we respond. Singles, let me tell you a story. Singles, so men, you are still initiators. I just had this conversation with Judy yesterday and he said to me, two days ago, and he said to me, I just wish that when I get older, I don't have to do any work to find a girl, that she could just be there. <laughs> and I don't have to do the work. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I happen to be studying. You will do the work. You will initiate the relationship. You will chase the girl. You will not make her chase you. He was like, Okay, I, I feel like you're mad at me. <laughs> Girls, you don't want to chase a guy. Guys like chasing girls. Guys like the hunt, they like it. It's because God gave it to them. If you're the one chasing the guy, mm, you don't want him. <laughs> you don't want that guy. You want the guy to chase you. Let me tell you my story. I was a teenager. And my mom taught me all the time, Megan, don't chase boys, don't chase boys. It was like drilled in me, don't chase boys. What did I do? I chased boys. I had to learn on my own. So there was this guy, and he, I went to school with him, and I was just in love with him. And um, he didn't notice me. And so I decided with a bunch of my girlfriends that it would be a really good idea, this was before text messages, so that I wrote him a letter and, um, but I wouldn't tell him who it was. I would sign it, green jeans. Because it was just me and another girl at the school that had green jeans, so it was a process of elimination, right? So I, I confessed my undying love for him, and then I signed it green jeans, because they were cool back then, and put <laughs> with a button fly, <laughs> so cool. And um, I, put him in, I put it in his locker, and so he got the letter and promptly told me he was not interested in me at all. And the worst part was is he was my friend. And so now we're not friends, nor are we boyfriend and girlfriend. We're just nothing. I'm awkward to him and it's weird. And so a couple weeks goes by and I'm like, this was a terrible idea. And so I wrote him another letter. And um, my parents were gone. I hadn't told my mom. And uh, so we had this kitchen table that had been painted with melamine. And uh, mom had the newspaper laid out. And I took a piece of paper and a pencil and I hand wrote this note to him, apologizing, I'm sorry, I don't like you anymore. It's totally whatever, right? Please forgive me, can we just be friends? And folded up the letter and uh, gave it to him. The next day, my mom is drinking coffee, reading the newspaper, and she flips the newspaper over, and there on the table is the letter written on the table because the newspaper acted as a copy, and it just completely, yeah. Your sins will always find you out. <laughs> so she called me, and she's like, what is this? Like, as if God, really? <laughs> Um, that's the letter I wrote to a guy. Why? Because I wrote him a letter telling him that I loved him and he didn't, whatever. Anyway, so she was like, what did I tell you? 
don't chase boys. I'm like, I know, lesson learned. I get it, I won't chase boys. So things got patched up between me and this guy, and we were friends again. About a month later, it's Valentine's Day. And what ends up in my mailbox is a teddy bear holding a heart saying, be my Valentine from that guy. Lesson learned, boys like to chase, do not chase boys. They are initiators, we are responders. But guys, let me say this, don't, single guys, well also married men, don't do this. Understand that women are responders. If you have no intentions with her, don't, don't, cause, that, don't cause that responder in her to open up. If you are just planning on walking away, that's, that's no character, that's low character, don't do that. Okay, back to marriage. So lastly, what I'm gonna say about dominance is this. Eve was not taken from Adam's feet because women are not beneath men. Eve was not taken from his head because women are not above men. Eve was taken from his side because women and men are supposed to walk side by side in partnership in partnership. And the last is purity. From Genesis 2 again, verse 25, and they were both naked, and the man and his, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That nakedness speaks of purity, and it means exposed on every level, mentally, spiritually, and physically completely exposed to one another. As long as you have purity, you have intimacy. But you'll notice when Adam and Eve sinned, they covered themselves. So first of all, I wanna say there are no hidden secrets in marriage. Marriage is to be pure. So. I get it when, you know, there are things that happen at work that I don't bring home. There's things that happen to Jared at work that he doesn't bring home. I'm talking about things that directly affect your marriage. They, there should be no secrets. There has been many conversations over the years where, where the Holy Spirit has, one time he bugged me for a year. You need to, you need to come open, come clean talk to Jared about it, because I'm not going to hide a piece of my heart from my husband when it is supposed to be open and exposed. It's all in. So if you have hidden secrets from your spouse, you're keeping a piece of yourself from them, and that's not fair. You must tell everything. This is a life shared. This is togetherness. So if you have, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, oh, if I told my spouse what secrets I've got going on, they may leave me. Okay, get together with somebody, get together with a leader from the church, whatever we can help you, form a game plan, but you don't want secrets. That's detrimental. That's detrimental to your marriage. It's detrimental to you. That's hurting you. So purity, 
open and exposed. If you've sinned against your spouse, tell them. Purity is a lifestyle. So you want to be careful with the other person's heart. You want to be careful how you conduct yourself around the other person. I'm not talking about being awkward and weird. I'm saying you were being careful because you're... In charge isn't the right word. You're responsible for that person. Their life, their heart. They belong to you, you belong to them. So you, purity is a lifestyle that I am always careful with how I talk to you, with how I conduct myself, with how I am when I'm away. If, if I'm going on a girl's trip, I am still conducting my life properly because I'm representing my husband. If men are going on a boy's trip, you're not doing stuff you wouldn't do without your spouse around. I'm, I'm talking, you can do boy things. I'm talking about stuff that would hurt the marriage. Purity always at the forefront of my mind that this, I'm responsible for my husband's heart. And he's responsible for mine. So I conduct myself properly. And the last is take responsibility. When Adam and Eve, God comes to them in the garden and they've eaten that apple, none of them took responsibility. Adam, Adam said, Eve made me do it. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. Not any of them took responsibility. They just shifted blame. In your marriage, you will make mistakes. Don't blame shift, take responsibility. Just take responsibility. That's part of purity. Is that when you messed up, you take responsibility. Adam, you can come. Purity means you are exposed, you are careful, and you take responsibility. Amen? Amen. Father, I just pray over every person here over every single person, over every married person. And Father, I just thank you for your grace on their life. Father, for those that will be married one day, Father, they would follow godly principles. That they, that they would look for a godly mate. And Father, that they would know their worth. that they would know the call and the purpose that you have for them and that they wouldn't settle. And Father, I pray for every marriage here, that God, you'd be in the middle of it, leading them, guiding them. And Father, for marriages that are broken today, Father, I thank you that, that you've stepped in and that you are healing broken pieces, putting them back together again. And Father, where there's been offense, unforgiveness, Father, you're revealing it right now. Unforgiveness 
will not let you go into your future. Unforgiveness will keep you right where you are. So Father, I thank you you're dealing with hearts right now. And forgiveness is flowing. Bitterness is going. Father, that you're bringing restoration in Jesus' name. And Father, for marriages that just need some fine-tuning, because we all need it, I thank you, Father, that you're causing hearts to connect deeper, grow deeper together, and go farther in you. Father, you've ordained marriage, and you've put a special grace for it. And so, Father, we thank you for that grace. We just release it. As marriages grow stronger and become better together, not bitter together, but better together. Thank you, Lord. And for those that have been hurt by marriage, those whose lives have become broken or broke because of it, Father, that you're healing those places. Father, that you're the comforter. And you're bringing wholeness. You're bringing wholeness. Thank you, Father. Just to release. Thank you, Jesus. Just release, release. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. Thank you for your healing in this place. That you're comforting all that mourn. Thank you, Jesus. To you be all of the glory. You deserve it all. You deserve all the glory. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst and what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.